So we start a brand new series off this weekend uh, called The Good Life, Philippians chapter 3 uh, and chapter 4. Uh, we're not going to go through the chapters in any particular order. Today we're in Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. We're going to look at several verses about this issue of the good life. So the good life actually may be right in front of you. In other words, the good life, it's about, it's about attitude, it's about perspective, it's about all of those other things. And so we've entitled this message Honest Living because if we're going to live the good life and we're going to have the right perspective, we're going to have the right attitude, uh, then, then we, have to, we have to be honest about some things. And so let me just ask you just real quickly, you don't have to answer this out loud, but how honest are you about your level of contentment? How honest are you about your level of joy in life? How honest are you about your level of, of happiness in life? I mean, if, you, if, if like someone called upon you to rate your life, your contentment level, what would that look like? Would it be 80% contentment? Would it be 90% contentment? Or, 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 or would, it, would it be lacking? If you broke your life down into smaller segments and you just begin to evaluate your life, let me help you with that and just to try to understand this maybe in some, uh, some smaller segments, is are you content with your job? Recent survey just recently said that 82% of Americans hate their job. That really and truly, they don't, they don't enjoy their job. They endure, endure their job. They're, they're looking forward to quitting time. They're looking forward to the weekend. They're looking forward to retirement. 82% of Americans do not enjoy their job, and that's such a shame when you spend so much time at the office or on, on a job site or in a career. An, 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 maybe another question, are you content with your marriage? I mean, if you were to rate your marriage, how content, how much joy, how much happiness do you have in your relationship? 80% happy, 90% of the time you're happy? Or we'd say, you know what, honestly, I'm dissatisfied in my relationship. Maybe you're single. How content are you with being single with this season of your life? Would you say, I'm content or I'm not content? And get a little more personal, how content are you with your body? In the mornings, do you look at yourself in the mirror and say, uh, God, thank you that you've made me just as I am. Uh, I know that the scriptures say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and I thank you for that. Or do you step on the scales and you kind of wince? And you just quote the first half of that verse and says, I'm just fearfully made. <laughs> Are you content with your church? Are you grateful that you worship here? Or do you find yourself oftentimes complaining and criticizing everything that goes on here? Are you content with your financial standing? Are you content with your, your pay? Are you content? Tent with the season of life that you're in. I think there's a lot that we can learn from the Apostle Paul about this issue of contentment, about this issue of joy, uh, because he was in difficult circumstances, and, and yet he was able to have joy, yet he was able to have contentment. Here's what he writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He writes these words, remember, in prison. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, with, whether it is with, with a full stomach or empty, whether it was plenty or little. Now listen, when a person stands up and says, hey, life experience, I've learned the secret in this area, I think we should stand up and take notice, especially when that, that individual is in this difficult circumstances. Paul is single, uh, he's in prison, he's broke, he's sick, uh, he's elderly. It looks like there's no hope for his situation. And yet Paul stands up and says, you know what? I've, I've come to the place in my life where I've, I've learned the secret of contentment. In other words, what Paul would tell us is it's having the, the, the correct attitude, the correct perspective about life. That the good life may be right in front of you. It's an attitude. It's a perspective. So, so this morning, just real quickly before we take communion together, I, I, I want to look at two different things. I want to look at the enemies of contentment 
And then the secret of contentment. Because if we're honest, and we're honest about our situation, we would have to say, you know what? There are some enemies of contentment. There are some things that, that destroy my contentment in life. And so, so let's, just, let's run through several of these. The first one is this, is unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations of life will destroy contentment. It will destroy joy in your life. Because if your expectations of life, if your expectations of maybe the Christian life is to be ideal, is to be perfect, is to be without problems, without struggle, or anything like that, then when those struggles, when those problems come, you're going to be disillusioned. In other words, when reality sets in, you're, 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 you're going to have difficulty. Because if we're honest, we all have expectations, right? We have expectations, maybe it's about a marriage, maybe about relationships, maybe it's about a situation. Uh, probably the easiest way I can illustrate this is from what I understand and what I've witnessed, most of you are Bronco fans, right? And so expectations come <coughs> with being a Bronco, Bronco fan, right? If your team uh, doesn't have a winning record, doesn't win their division, doesn't make it all the way to the AFC championship game, then your life is like over, right? I mean, it's like, it's like you know, it's like if they don't live up to those expectations, it's like it is horrible. Now, if you're a Cowboy fan... And your team wins 25% of their games, nobody's thrown in jail, nobody gets sued, then you believe in miracles, right? Uh, it's just a different level of expectations. See, if we're honest, it's these expectations that, like, wipe us out. If we're honest, unrealistic expectations in life will destroy your contentment, whether it's unrealistic expectations about a marriage, about an individual, about a job, about a situation, about a career, about a place in life. If you have unrealistic expectation and you're expecting it to be perfect, then guess what? You're going to be disillusioned. You're going to be disappointed and you're going to go through, through struggles in life because nobody has a perfect life. So often we have been bought into false beliefs or we've been falsely programmed. Maybe it's how we are raised or, or whatever to where we're, we have this naive concept about life. And we have these unrealistic expectations. Listen, unrealistic expectations always lead to disappointment. You can go into a marriage, and you can expect it to be perfect, and all of a sudden reality sets in. You can get a new job, and you're so excited about that new job, and then all of a sudden, you know what? Reality sets in, and you realize, guess what? With this job, there's going to be things I have to do that I hate. With the light, with with a Christian life, you can start out in the Christian life, and you can have unrealistic expectations. You think my life is going to be perfect, everything's going to work out the way that I think it should. And then when you go through problems, you go through sorrow. You wonder, does God love me? Does He even see what I'm going through? Jesus said this in Matthew six thirty four. He said, "Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." <coughs> in other words, if you if you expect trouble. If you live in a life of reality, then when trouble comes, you're not disillusioned. You learn to, to enjoy the carefree days of your life as blessings, and then you can deal with the difficult days as normal because you guess what? You understand life is not perfect. Jesus said in John 16, he says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will, be, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So Jesus was upfront about this. Said so you're gonna have pain, you're gonna have sorrow, you're gonna have disappointment. We live in a fallen, we live in a fallen world. One of the reasons that I believe Paul was able to still have contentment in prison is because if you study the autobiography the biography of Paul, then you realize when God called Paul into ministry, God was up front and God told him, you know what, one day you're gonna suffer for me in prison. 
So it did not come as a shock to Paul. He had expectations that that was part of his life. Here's another enemy of contentment. Unfair comparisons. Unfair comparisons. I mean, this issue of unfair comparisons is critical because here's what happens in life. Normally, when we compare ourselves to someone else, it always leads to disappointment because here's what we do. We compare someone else's highlight reel to our behind-the-scenes reel. A lot of times we compare someone else's strengths to our weaknesses. We compare someone else's situation, what we think, what we perceive. Interesting story (coughs) that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 20. tells a story about a vineyard owner, and uh, he needed to hire some folks. And so at 6 in the morning, he hired a group of people and said, I'll pay you one denarius. One denarius was an average wage of their day, and they were paid. They worked a day, and they were paid at at the end of the day. And so he hired a group of people at 6, and then he hired another group of people at 9 in the morning. He realized, I need more workers. Hires another group of people, said, I'll pay you a denarius. At 10 o'clock, he needed some more people, so he hired some more people. 3 o'clock, he hired another group of people and said, I'll pay you a denarius to work the rest of the day. To make matters worse, at 5 in the afternoon, he hired a group of people and said, if you'll work for me an hour, I'll pay you a full day's wage, I'll pay you a denarius. End of the day, in the New Testament, they were paid at the end of the day. And so as, as, the, as the vineyard owner was handing out paychecks, here, here's what went down. Here's what happened. Matthew chapter 20, verse 11. <coughs> it says, when they had received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people who worked only one hour, and yet you have paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. And he answered them, friend, yeah. I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay pay the last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Here's a huge question. Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? Here's the crummy thing about unfair comparisons. Unfair comparisons always lead to jealousy. Many times we're discontented, just if we're honest. Many times we're discontented in life, not because we have too little. We're discontented because we don't have as much as someone else. It's crazy, right? Here a while back, the, the newspaper articles came out, and Troy Aikman, just a little bit of, 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 of history, Troy Aikman was a, was a sports broadcaster, he is a sports broadcaster for, for Fox Network, and, and so he calls a lot of the games, been doing it 15, 20 years. And, um, and so he signed his contract, he's been happy with his multi-million dollar contracts and all the things that go with that. Here recently, Fox tried to hire Peyton Manning, and they offered Peyton Manning more money than they're paying Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman, who was once happy with his multi-million dollar contract, is now upset. And he made headlines when he came out and said, I think this is unfair. I think it's unfair that you're trying to pay a guy who doesn't have the experience that I have, doesn't have uh, some of the things that I have, and I think it's totally unfair. And as a result of that, I want to renegotiate my contract. There's something about this issue of unfair comparisons. Unfair comparisons, listen, unfair comparisons always lead to jealousy, always lead to discontentment. Listen, you and I, we can make our life miserable. We can make our life miserable by comparing our home to someone else's home, our car to someone else's car, our income to someone else's income, our children to someone else's children, our health to someone else's health, our career to someone else's career, our job to someone else's job, 
our body to somebody else's body. This issue of unfair comparisons will destroy you. That's why the writer of Proverbs wrote these words. Proverbs 14.30 says, A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Watch this. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. In other words, it, jealousy will destroy you. <coughs> it'll destroy you from the it'll destroy you from the inside out. It'll destroy the relationships around you. See, Paul didn't compare himself to others and and he felt and, and, and then he'd feel deprived because he didn't compare himself to others. He compared himself to the crucified Christ. And he said it's an honor to suffer for him. Here's a here's another big uh, enemy of contentment, unnoticed blessings. You know what happens when we get caught up and one leads to the other? I get that. I understand that. You know what happens when when we have unfair comparisons and it leads to jealousy? Jealousy will keep you from seeing the blessings in your life. Jealousy will keep you from seeing the good things because you know what? You're focused on somebody else's situation. You're focused on somebody else's blessings. You're not focused on yours. In other words, this issue of the good life, it is right in front of you. I mean, when you, when you just look at, 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 at Americans right now, you realize that maybe, maybe no other group has had more freedom, more prosperity, more recreational opportunities, and more clothing than us. But many times we don't notice them because we think it's common. We think it's, we, we think it's a necessity. And it, 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 we think it's normal, and we think it's an expectation. In other words, we just regard them as a necessity. I mean, when you, when you start going through the list of some of the modern conveniences that we have, and you can, do, you can do this real quick list and say, is air conditioning in your home? Is it a necessity or a luxury? I mean, I was raised in South Texas, 100 degrees weather, 100% humidity. We never had air conditioning. I mean, the fact is, what we had, we had what was called in, in our area an, an attic fan. An attic fan is a lot like a swamp cooler without water in the swamp cooler. It's just a fan because in Texas, you don't need to put more water in the air, and it wouldn't even help. And as a result of that, we had an attic fan that would just push 100-degree weather or temperature air into the home. It didn't cool the place off. And you know what? Somehow we survived, but we've come to a place to believe that, you know what? Air conditioning is not a, is not a, not a luxury. Air conditioning is a necessity. How about indoor plumbing? Even though I was raised in Texas, let me just stop right there. We had indoor plumbing. Fifty years ago, indoor plumbing wasn't a luxury, wasn't even a necessity. fact is, they didn't even have indoor plumbing. And now we don't even think of indoor plumbing until it, it, like, it like backs up, it goes out. How about a car? I mean, well, I, I was raised in a time where families had, had one car. Now we live in a time that if we don't have two cars, we think we're suffering. I mean, we think, this is just horrible. How about TVs? When I, was raised, when I was being raised, we had one TV, three channels. Our, our channel changer was a pair of pliers. Those were you, those are you that was raised in my generation, you know that. The, the, the channel selector would always go out, so we just put a pair of pliers on top of the TV. That's how we changed the TV, was a pair of pliers. And now then, we think, you know what? Uh, I don't want just one TV. I, I, need, I need like a TV in every room, and it better have cable. It better be able to stream Netflix, Hulu, and everything else. Or less, you know what? I think I'm suffering. And I lived in a time when you couldn't even record a movie. You, you, if you weren't home to watch the movie, you just like missed it. And there was no second chance. And then they came out with VCRs. And those of you, you remember this, right? To program a VCR, you needed a, you needed a degree. I mean, 
I mean, it was hard. And then it may not even tape, or your sister tapes over your movie, right? And you're like, ah, this sucks. And so, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> if you don't allow that word in your home, my apologies. Tell your kids, do not turn out like the pastor. And so, <laughs> maybe I got some unresolved issues about that whole deal. Listen, I'm telling you, I, our unnoticed blessings leads us to complaining. Because you know what we focus on? We focus on what we don't have rather than what we have. We focus on what God is not doing for us in our mind rather than what he's doing for us. This is why Timothy said in 1 Timothy, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But we have a lot more than that. But we don't focus on that. We focus on what we don't have. And as a result, it destroys our contentment. Here's another one, uncontrolled ambition. Uncontrolled ambition is an enemy of contentment. I'm not talking about healthy ambition. There's a healthy ambition, what Scripture says. There's an unhealthy ambition. An unhealthy ambition is when selfish ambition, and you're trying to get approval. Uh, you're trying to, it, it's driven by your ego. It's all about you and about nobody else. And I'm talking about this issue of, of, of an uncontrolled, unhealthy ambition. See, when we, when we look at this, contentment is not laziness. Contentment is not just sitting back and being passive. Uh, Jesus, fact is, Jesus several times, one time he comm commended the, uh, the five-talent man for working hard, doubling his investment. The Bible encourages over and over that we as Christians, we should, we should make the most of every opportunity. I think Christian uh, churches, I think Christians should strive for excellent beca excellence because we, we, we represent Christ. I think we should strive as individuals to make the most of the talents that God has given us. But when, when ambition goes off the rails, when ambition is out of control, where it's fueled by ego and it's destructive to those around you, that's when it's unhealthy. James writes in James 3.16, he writes these words and he says, <coughs> For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. I clipped a newspaper, uh, well, in fact, is, I'm sorry, it was out of Time Magazine uh, a number of years ago. I clipped an article out of Time Magazine. There was a robber in West Virginia, and so he robs this individual, and he robs his victim. And so the robber is, like, disappointed because all the victim has on him is $12.15. And so the robber is upset with that. It's not enough. He wasn't content with that. And so as a result, he was willing to accept a $300 check from his victim. And the robber was arrested the next day in the bank trying to cash the $300 check. And most of us, right, most of us aren't that dumb. But ambition, listen, ambition out of control leads to a loss of values. Ambition out of control, you will sacrifice family, you will sacrifice kids, you will sacrifice your integrity, sleep, you'll sacrifice your health, your friendships, just to try to climb another rung on the ladder of success. The psychologist William Morrison recently asked 3,000 people, he asked him this question. He says, what are you living for? And he was shocked at the response. In fact, 94% of the people responded said, you know what? We just endure life. We're just waiting for something. We just, we, just, we just get through it. Hebrews 13, 5 says this. It says, he, says, <coughs> he says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. 
For God has says, I will never fail you, and I will never abandon you. Sometimes unnoticed blessings is that we have a God that will never leave us, never forsake us, never, never fail us. So I want to give you, before we take communion, I want to give you the secrets of contentment. The things that, that Paul learned. I mean, we get, we understand the enemies of contentment. We need to be honest about that and honest about the ones we fight. Honest about the ones that, that destroy the contentment or the joy in our life. And so the secret of contentment, here's several. One is develop a heart of gratitude. If you're going to find the secret of contentment, you have to come to that place to develop a heart of gratitude. Now listen, I know we, we, in, in the circle series, we went through Philippians chapter 1 and 2. This issue of gratitude kept coming up over and over. Here it comes up again. I get that. I understand that. But it comes up over and over through the book of Philippians. In other words, this issue, what Paul says, contentment is a spirit of gratitude. It's a spirit of gratitude regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our seasons of life, regardless of what we're going through. So many people, when the enemies of contentment is raging in their life, they begin to make statements. You know what? If my job was more fulfilling, I'd have contentment. If my marriage was more fulfilling, I'd have contentment. If my, if my health was better, I'd have contentment. If, if, if my situations, my circumstances changed, then, it, then, then I would have contentment. But you find that in life, through, through, through uh, uh, statistics and, and, and interviews that have done, you find that in reality, peace of mind is about 10% circumstance and 90% of our attitude. The way in which we view this, and so this issue of gratitude is like repeated over and over and over. Listen, happiness and joy and contentment is a matter of choice. It is not just some, some lucky break. It is not something to just be in the right place at the right time. It's, I've watched in life as a pastor, maybe some of you have, where you've had friends go through difficult circumstances, and you're like, you're looking at them and saying, well, I can't believe you still have joy. I can't believe you still have contentment. Because it's an issue of not circumstances, it's an issue of attitude. And so much of our, our issue of contentment has to do with our expectations. You can choose to be naive, you can choose to be disillusioned, or you can be realistic about this world. You can be realistic about this issue of contentment. You can choose, listen, you can choose to compare your life to someone else's life. You can choose to be envious, or you can choose to be jealous of their, of their relationships, of their situation. Or you can be grateful. If you don't have less, you can be grateful for the things you, you do have. You can choose to ignore the blessings in life and what God is doing for you. Or you can open up your spiritual eyes every day and say, you know what, I'm going to choose to be grateful. I'm not going to, blessings in my life, they're not going to be unnoticed. Jesus met this man at the pool of Bethesda. It's an interesting story. This man had been, been handicapped for, for 38 years. And Jesus asked him the most interesting question. Jesus asked him, to the man, he says, do you want to get well? There are so many people I want to say to today that have been just depressed and restless and critical and griping and no contentment in their life and no joy in their life to where I just ask them, do you, do you want to get well? Do you want to change? Or do you just prefer feeling sorry for yourself? Or do you just prefer being negative? Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining. I think this is one of the most difficult scriptures to live out. Do everything without complaining and arguing. In the margin of my Bible, years back in an old school Bible that I had at the time, and I, I wrote these words, God doesn't want to hear my gripes. He wants to hear my praise. He doesn't want to hear my gripes. He wants to hear my gratitude. In other words, to where we come to the place to where we're aware of what God has done for us. 
That's why Paul wrote in Philippians 4.8, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So the question is, do you want to get well? Are there blessings in your life that you're missing? Are you grateful for what God's doing in your life today? Here's another one. It's a huge one. Another secret of contentment. Quit trying to please people and please Christ. Quit trying to please others and please Christ. So much of our life, I realize, is sometimes as we try to please people that cannot be pleased. People are fickled, right? They can give approval one day and they can remove approval the next day. Why is it so many times that we're trying to get our affirmation, we're trying to get our ego, we're trying to get our self-worth from what somebody else says about us? Philippians 4.12 says, I know, Paul's writing, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And here he goes, verse 13, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, even so you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Here's the interesting thing. Some of us have plenty, and we're still not content. You have not learned the secret and what it means to be content. You have plenty of money, you have plenty of clothing, you have plenty of people who love you and care about you. You have plenty of health, but you're still miserable on the inside. On the outside, your public image, you know, your Facebook page, displays and shows perfection and joy and happiness, over-the-top excitement, over-the-type experiences, pictures of all the food that you eat. (laughs) I don't understand that. Unless it's fried. Um, But behind the Facebook page, behind, behind the public image, you're miserable. You're unhappy. There's no joy. There's real no happiness. And the primary reason for that is you're trying to prove to yourself. You're trying to prove to others. And... You have to come to the place to ask yourself, who am I trying to impress and why am I trying to impress them? Why am I I driven so much to make others envious of me when they really don't care about me? Am I so insecure that I only feel something when someone is envious of me or when I'm beating somebody? I mean, it is a great day in life when we no longer have to compete with one another. We just know who we are in Christ. It's like that schoolyard story, you know, two, two middle school boys are on the playground together. One middle school boy looks at the other middle school boy and says, my dad can whip your dad. The other little boy kind of shrugged his shoulders and he replied, he says, that's no big deal. My mom can whip my dad. <laughs> Often the most insecure people in life are those that, you know what, they got to win an argument at at any cost. They just got to win because it's about ego. It's not about the discussion. It's not about an honest discourse. It's about this issue of just winning. If you want to balance contentment with ambition, then, then change your transition and thinking and quit trying to impress others and just please Christ. Paul said this, I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, I can do all things to please him because he will supply my every need. Listen, it is a liberating day when you have no agenda in life except to please God. Just to simply do his will. You have no one to impress except him. Here, here, here's the last one. Uh, love people and not things. Paul would say this, and love people and not things. In other words, value your relationships more than things. I got a real quick illustration. It happened 15 years back, back about myself. It honestly does not make me look good. Uh, I asked Karen for permission to tell the story, and she said, well, you know that story doesn't make you look good. And I go, well, I'll, ex I'll explain to them I've grown a lot since then. <laughs> we had moved to Colorado. Uh, we, we had two vehicles at the time, a Suburban, and I had a truck that I deeply loved, and it was like, it was like perfect. And so we had our first snow day here in Colorado, and, and the Suburban was two-wheel drive, not very good. I mean, it's just a land barge. It's just not very good in the snow. So Karen says, hey, can I drive your truck for the day? Your truck's better in the snow than mine. And I said, sure. So I gave her my keys. That afternoon, she called, and she said, and I could tell she was upset, and she said, I just want to let you know I wrecked your truck. And my first question was, how's my truck? <laughs> yeah, I've learned the error of my ways. In my defense, I felt if she was healthy enough to talk to me, she was okay. And let's, <laughs> let's just figure out what's up with the truck. <laughs> Insurance can replace a truck. It wasn't her fault. Someone rear-ended her. She wanted to make sure I told you that part of the story. <laughs> you can value, you, you can replace things. You can't replace people. I can replace a truck. I can't replace a a spouse like her. You have to come to the place where you value people, not things. Philippians 4.10 says, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. This is so crazy, and this is so healthy about the Apostle Paul. He believed the best in people around him. You know why? Because he wasn't trying to please people. He didn't, need any, he didn't need their affirmation to feel better about himself. He pleased Christ. Paul's in prison. This group of people, they're not text messaging him. They're not emailing him. They're not calling him. They're not coming and making a, a jail visit, anything like that. He doesn't know why. Uh, he doesn't know if it's because of his travel schedule or anything like that. They're, they're, ju they're just not contacting him. And Paul believed the best in them. And when they did finally contact him, you know what he didn't do? He didn't give them guilt. He didn't tell him about time you call me. I can't believe I've been in this dirty, rotten prison all these years, and, and you haven't even connected with me. You know what? He believed, the, he believed the best in them. A lot of times what destroys our contentment in life is we don't believe the best in others. We, we don't really value relationships. We don't really value people. Paul was just so happy when they did contact him, and he complimented him. A lot of times we can, we can love things more than people, and that's just so dangerous. It's a famous story about uh, Speaker of the House. His name was Sam Rayburn. Sam Rayburn was from, from, from Texas, and uh, he was in Washington, D.C. as the Speaker of the House. And Sam Rayburn, late in life, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. He immediately resigned from Washington, D.C. as Washington, D.C. colleagues were upset and said, Sam, we can't believe you're resigning I mean, you're, you're moving back to where? He says, oh, I'm going back to Bonham, Texas. And Bonham, Texas is like just a little country town. And so they're like, well, that shocks us because the medical care in Washington, D.C. is going to be better than the medical care in Bonham, Texas. We cannot believe you're moving back to Bonham, Texas. And Sam, it's classic. 
Sam looked at them and says, you know why I'm moving back to Bottom, Texas? I'm moving back to Bottom, Texas because in Bottom, Texas, people, people know it when you're sick and they care when you die. It's about relationship. You know what? When it comes right down to it and we get to the end of our life, what is really going to matter is not our t- titles, not our trophies, not our bank account, not our homes, not the cars that we drive. What's going to matter is our relationships. Our relationships with God and our relationships with the people around us that know when we are sick and care when we die. Contentment has to do with attitude. Contentment has to do whether we're grateful or not.